And then the simpler version of that is just that I love making people laugh more than anything in the world. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Alexis Gay. If you're on Twitter, you'll likely have seen one of her viral videos. Alexis is a comedian and the host of the podcast called Non-Technical. In this episode, you'll learn about creating viral videos while working another job, how she was able to go full-time on her own work, and some of her creative process, and so much more. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. If you're interested in starting a podcast, you can sign up for my free podcasting course at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com slash course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Alexis. Alexis, what do you love about improv? Ooh, wow. There's a lot to love about improv. I love what it did for me, which is it helped me learn how to be more comfortable looking what we'll call very imperfect by my own definition, looking weird sometimes, looking stupid, looking ugly, all these things that prior to doing improv, I was way more afraid to look. And um, so, so, so it did multiple things for you. Um, do you still go to improv or do you still practice mm-hmm. it? I don't practice it as much as I wish I did. I'm actually, it's something I'm thinking of for 2023. How can I get back in the mix? Mm. Um, and it seems like improv was, um, you know, a helpful practice for you and developing, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of learning new skills and then, um, you know, the act of creating and, and storytelling uh-huh. and stuff. Talk to us a little bit about how, like, and you were doing improv while you also were working before. Oh, yes. Right? Big time. Yeah, always. I, I've, uh, when I was doing improv, I was also working in tech full time. And then now, you know, you're a full time creator and we'll, we'll talk about that kind of like journey. Mm-hmm. And what about um, videos? Mm. So you have a specific kind of style for, uh, I think, for short form videos. Sure. How do you think that you developed that? Hmm. Well, stylistically, I would say when we refer to my style in quotes, a video, what we're talking about is a video that is one minute long front facing, meaning it looks as though I'm shooting it myself because I am shooting it myself and quick cuts often with some repetitive elements to them. I use certain phrases over and over again, um, to represent what I feel like is the essential oil of the topic or the conversation. And, um, was your question, how does improv help me with that? Yeah. How, how do you think like improv led and, and helped, helped you with creating Ooh. videos and. Well, a lot of improv is building characters and thinking about specifics that those characters might say, or thinking, um, and trying to answer the question, if this is true, what else is true? So on stage doing improv, if you want to add to the world, which you should always be adding everything you say and do on stage, you should be adding something, um, or at the very least affirming something that's already been laid out. And with my videos, sometimes what I'll try to do if I'm scripting is think, okay, if this is true, like if this is true about this character, about this situation, what else is true? So one example from a recent video I made, I made a video called when you couldn't care less about the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which uh, is a video about a character who very much cares about the Forbes 30 under 30 list, of course. And in the video, I was thinking, okay, so this person is uh, coming from a place of 
pretending they don't care about something that they really do. They wish they had made the list and they did not. And so in that video, I thought, well, if they care about this list, this acclaim, this public notoriety, what might they also care about or what might also be true about them? And I realized, well, they would probably be envious of people who are on the list. That's true. Um, they might also be envious of other people's circumstances. So there's a line in the video where the character makes a joke at someone else's expense that they had only gotten on the list because their dad had to call in favors. And then the character said, that guy sucks. And so it comes from a place of what would an insecure person do to protect themselves? They might talk badly about somebody who has something they want. So, so, so this, this is kind of like your creative process. Is that how you kind it's of It's a piece of, of it. Yeah. What, what else, um, what else would you say is a piece or a part of your creative process? Do you like, mm. you know, go around on Twitter, kind of see what's trending, pull out topics and then say, huh, like what's, like not said here or yeah. what you know it's funny constantly like multiple times a week i think to myself i know i'll go on twitter for research i literally open up twitter.com and i think i am doing my job right now and then i look at twitter and it it never once has provided me with inspiration not even one single time i keep doing this like sisyphus um, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Okay. So, but something I do take a lot of inspiration from is conversations that I have, uh, in my real life, you know, with people. And the reason for that is that by talking with multiple people, I can hear things that come up again and again. And when things come up again and again, it makes me think it helps me connect the dots a little bit. It's rare that I have one single conversation that inspires a topic common that I have six conversations, the same phrase comes up in all six. I think to myself, why is that? Why, why are we doing that? Why are all six of us doing that? And then I think about, I think about that. And then that can often lead to an interesting topic. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else about improv um, that you want to share there that you think that we missed? Oh, well, improv offers a lot. And I, you know, I will say something else I really love about it is that it's a team sport. For the most part, there's uh, solo prov, I believe it's called, which is just one person. But I like the aspect of improv that's about building something together. And it's probably also because so much of what I do is uh, just me right now. And so I get lonely and I miss having friends on stage. <laughs> well, maybe that's so that's why you're thinking about maybe getting back into it 2023. Yes, yes literally. I'm like, this will be good for my career. But really, I'm like, I just miss my friends. <laughs> um. Well, part of when I was thinking, when you were talking about this, like multiple conversations mm -hmm. and then kind of piecing together into a, like a topic, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but one maybe like a more viral video or an earlier viral video of your, yours was about kind of a conversation you've been having at parties in, in San Francisco. Uh -huh. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about, about that video. It seemed like that video might've been a, a turning point or. Oh yeah, definitely. Like quantitatively, there's no denying that that video received more views on several orders of magnitude <laughs> greater than anything I had done in the past. Uh, worth noting, though, it was not by any means the first thing I had put on the Internet. I had been putting stuff on the Internet for uh, years, for sure. Not all like that. 
and, uh, some, you know, I had a YouTube channel. I made other short videos. I used to just only put things on Instagram, not Twitter. So I'm not saying like I was doing that every day. I was not. However, um, that video got way more traction. The most views of a video of mine had gotten to that point, I think on Twitter was 1100. Yeah. And I was so stoked because I thought, wow, a thousand people, that is so awesome. And I stand by that, by the way, you know, the numbers are bigger now, but it is still, I always think about how many people that is, mm. um, which is actually something that I picked up from Jack Conti, who is the CEO of Patreon. Patreon is the company I worked for, for my last three years in tech. And he used to talk about picturing, um, you know, 20,000 people being, who is it 20 or 40? thousand people being the size of Madison square garden. And so when you get quote only, is it 20 or 40? We're going to pretend it's 40. Um, so that when you get quote only 40,000 something, right. That's, that's a Madison square garden sized amount of people. And so I like to picture when at the numbers, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a thousand people. And so at the time I was like, that's so cool. Uh, and then I posted that video, every single party in San Francisco, that was in April of 2020. And it got 3.1 million views in the first week that it was up. So literally from 1,100 to 3.1 million in a week, big difference. Yeah. And, and you were so, you were so working full time then. And <laughs> oh, certainly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one video getting a couple million views, isn't going to change anybody's career trajectory materially, right? You're not getting paid on that. Oftentimes those are not converting into people following you. It's not like suddenly I had 3 million people dying, waiting to hear what I was going to do next. What is she going to talk about next? Like that was not the situation, but what it did offer me was some momentum and momentum that I was able to then keep capitalizing on almost every week um, for the next several months. Because I was working full-time in tech, I would do that at night and on the weekends. And because it was deep pandemic, I had nothing else to do. So that's what I spent my time doing. I thought that was really fun making that video. I'm going to do it every week. Yeah. Every week. I've been podcasting every week since 2018. Um, that is so impressive. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I love just consistency and, um, and thanks for, you know, supporting me and being, being a part of oh, this. Yes. Um, Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. And I agree with you, by the way, consistency is so important create to creativity, I think. Yeah. And, and I'm also a big fan of these kind of like, um, sprinting doing, you know, bursts of work, uh, mm. for a certain time period. I've done a, like a recent fitness challenge with some friends. Um, and it's really fun when you just kind of mm -hmm. commit to a certain time period, you do something with some friends. Has there been a time when, when you were in the beginning of kind of creating videos and stuff where mm -hmm. you kind of committed to, you know, creating X amount of videos for X amount of days? Yeah, absolutely. I, in... I think it was October of 2017. Yes, that is right. In October of 2017, I had uh, left Twilio, which was the job I moved to San Francisco for. And I did not have another job lined up. I was figuring it out. This was not the plan. The plan was to love my job at Twilio and for everything to go really smoothly. And that is not what happened, unfortunately. Though, great company, great product. Nothing against them at all. However, I found myself not knowing what I was going to do next, not having a job, 
uh, in San Francisco and I needed to do something so that I would not just plow through a season of Netflix in a single day, which I did exactly one time and then said, never doing that again. That is the most depressing thing that's ever happened. So what I did instead is I sat there. Actually, I remember I was at brunch uh, with a friend. He cooked brunch. He made hummus. These are the details that stick out to me about this day. And he said, uh, we were talking about creativity and I decided that I would make a one minute video every day for 30 days in a row. And that only really came from the fact that I enjoyed video editing as a kid. And then a few months prior to that brunch with the homemade hummus, I had made a birthday video for my best friend and it got me back into video editing. And so I said, all right, I'll do a one minute video every day for 30 days. Don't know what that means yet. Don't really know how to do it. But I figured I have my iPhone and I have the internet and rudimentary iMovie skills. I can make this happen. And throughout those 30 days, which I consider one of the most profoundly impactful sprints, as you put it, that I've ever done. Oh my gosh, I got so much better. I got so much better. And it was so fulfilling. And the the goal changed over time too. It went from 30 videos to 30 comedy videos. Mm. You know, they weren't comedy at first. They were just truly videos. Cause my thought was just start, just start somewhere, anywhere, and then figure it out as you go, but just keep making it, keep making them. Yeah. So maybe that's, you know, an idea for, you know, to kick off the new year, 2023, mm. you know, maybe someone, you know, uh, whoever's listening is like, you know, there's always that, um, Oh, I'm, I want to get in shape, you know, or I'm yes, going to buy yes, a gym yes. membership, but maybe it's, maybe it's a skill. Maybe we, Ooh. you know, people could commit to a creative practice or. Yes. You know what I think if you, if there were a couple things, I think make something like that commitment easier, I would say it is think of what it is you want to do. So if this is, I want to make videos or I want to get good at making videos, what I would recommend what I did at the time and what I have since recommended to other people is to make it as easy as possible and as simple as possible. And if there is something that's standing between you and doing the thing, you need to get rid of that thing. So for example, it was tempting at the time to say, well, I will start making videos when I buy a nice camera, when I learn how to edit with Adobe Premiere, when I et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's always a reason not to do it. There's just simply always a reason not to. And instead I was like, no, <laughs> what do you have already? Visit no Amazon required, right? What do we have? We have an iPhone and I have the internet. And with those skills, those tools rather, I should be able to pull this off. I didn't buy a camera until I think the 30 days were over actually. Um, yeah, definitely not. Cause I got it on black Friday, <laughs> um, but it, and that was so important to me because how often, and I, I, you know, I, this still happens to me. Right. But you get in your own way by saying, well, I'll do that when X yeah. and I just really recommend. And for myself, I try to say, strip it back, make it bare. And if the challenge is too great to the point where there's too much standing in your way, maybe there's a first step that needs to be taken. Maybe it isn't make a video every single day for 30 days. Maybe it's like write a video idea every day for 10. Start there, do that. And that, you know what I mean? Like just making it easy so that you can get used to the process of completing it because completing stuff feels so good. Yeah. Right? I mean yeah, I mean, like that's there's a lot of things that happen, good and bad, uh, each week. But I'm like, as long as I'm just publishing a new episode each week, like, yes, I'm I'm moving forward. A hundred percent. 
but um all right uh 30 day challenges january 2023 i'm, I'm excited to hear what people you know do for after this conversation um, yeah i think that's a great idea too tying it to the new year as long as you start that's you just have to start you know yeah so that was that was 2017 and yep. then we t- talked about that video in 2020 yeah you still were working yes um how do you think um what really inspired you to go kind of full time on mm-hmm. being a content creator hmm. you when mentioned you love teams and I do love teams and I was a manager at Patreon too I was running creator partnerships and I had built out the business operations team on the go to market side and I had seven people under me and I loved being a manager I loved it so much so that was a big challenge for me was to make peace with the fact that I would have to stop I would have to take off that identity for a bit which mm. was really hard because it really brought me a lot of joy um, when I decided to leave and become a comedian, I, I think we can say what inspired me two things, um, more macro sense. What inspired me was I wanted to know what it would feel like. Mm. It's it's in some ways it is as simple as that. I just wanted to know what it would feel like. I'd been working in tech for seven years. I'd had a couple of awesome jobs, a couple of, uh, challenging jobs and, I just wanted to know what it would feel like to work for myself, to have all day, to create things. Um, when I was younger in my early tech career, I used to think I'd love to start a company. I'd love to found something. And I never knew what it was. I knew I would have to be passionate about it in order to do something like that. Cause it's, you're all in, you're taking every, you know, ounce of energy you have and pouring it into your thing. And so when I realized that this could be my thing that I pour all of my energy into, I really wanted to know what that would feel like. And then more specifically, I had a conversation with one of my best friends, whose name is Mara Church. Um, At the time, she and I were both at Patreon. She's one of my best friends, one of the smartest people I know, and one of the most compassionate people I know. And what a combination. It is a combination that I look for in the people closest to me, honestly, because one without the other... I don't know about that. I, being compassionate is very good, of course, but I find the most inspiring people are able to be super ambitious and also really compassionate, but most, uh, but also very importantly, quite fun. Because without mm. one of those three things, I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> but anyway, Mara, literally, we sat at coffee one morning. We happened to be in the same place at the same time during the pandemic for like one day. It was pouring down rain. We're sitting having coffee and she has been such a big supporter of my creative work for so long. And she was like, so, I mean, Alexis, your audience is getting really big. Are you going to just go do this full time? I said, no, I don't, I don't think that's really what I want to be honest. And she literally asked me, she was like, what is standing between you and doing it? And I was like, that's a, that's a good question. What is standing between me and doing it full time? And then I answered honestly, which is I would need to sit down and do a little P and L. I would need to make a plan financially. I would need to say, what am I risking? What am I spending? What am I comfortable doing? And will this bankrupt me? Is this going to be really problematic for my life? Or is there a scenario here where this could be a short-term experiment that would turn out okay? And she was like, okay, well, you should you should do that. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I, sh- I should do that. It probably won't take that long. And I literally went home and did it. It took me 15, 20 minutes. 
And there was something about looking at that table. It was a very simple PL. I was not a finance major. This was in a Google sheet, <laughs> but I just needed to say, oh, this is doable. We'll take six months. Here's what I'm willing to spend to achieve this goal of knowing what it will feel like. And then I said to myself after six months, if you have a run out of money from this allocation that I was willing to set aside, then I need to ask myself some tough questions. I will need to answer the questions. Do I love this? Because if the answer is no, easy, back to tech we go. I wanted to answer uh, another possible outcome was I love this, but I'm not making any money from it. Okay. Mm. Then I decided at that point, I would pivot all of my energy to monetization or I love this and I am making money and then that's easy. Keep going. And I was very, very fortunate by the time the six months came around, I was in the third bucket. And so I was able to keep going. I had met my own criteria of loving it and earning money from it. Um, but that reality check that I gave myself of saying six months, this is possible, made it real in a way that de-risked and de-emotioned the situation. And it just became an experiment I really wanted to try. Hmm. So there's the three, there's the three questions there. Like, do I love it? Mm -hmm. Is it making money? Yeah. And then is it the combination of both? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a decision tree. Like if the answer was no to, do I love it? Easy done back to tech. Fantastic. What a lark. What a fun time. You know, I, I'll go start a fund. <laughs> um, I'm, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, but then if the answer is yes, you love it. Well, that's great. Fabulous information, good data, but uh, I need to, I need health insurance. I need to pay for things. And so at that point, the question would, would have been and was, all right, you love it, but are you making money from it? And then if the answer to that is no, then I knew I needed to pivot where I put my energy because for the first six months, I made the conscious choice to not put my energy towards any form of monetization. Now I still was, I still monetized my podcast, for example, has been sponsored since day one but I was not sacrificing my energy taking away from creative work and putting it towards monetization. But you I would have had again? to do that. Absolutely. In the first six months, I made the conscious choice not to emphasize monetization, though my podcast was sponsored from the beginning. And instead, I decided to focus all my energy on giving myself as much freedom as I could for the creative stuff so that I could sort of see what I wanted to make, see what opportunities were out there, who I could work with, who I got energy from, because the financial component, it's very, very real. I don't think I would ever advise somebody to ignore it completely unless they're in like a very privileged situation. Perhaps I was not, um, though I was privileged in many ways. For example, I wasn't paying rent. I was living at my mom's house. That was a huge reason I was able to do that six months, I think. Mm. Um, but I, I think that it was important for me to know that I had a moment in time coming up when I would have to evaluate so that I could spend some time giving my brain a break and focus more on, well, what, what do I want to do here? What do I want to create versus how do I want to earn money from it? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And that other question that um, she asked you that what's standing in the way that's, uh, uh, whew, I mean, for what this a friend, yeah, I mean, for this, uh, for people's 2023, sprints you know yeah. i'm curious to you know what's standing in their way but um or what's standing in my way or you know you know what else might you so put differently by the way my mom would say when i get very overwhelmed she reminds me of this she says how do you eat an elephant and the answer is of course one bite at a time 
And so of course, right. There's only one answer. And so that is also something to keep in mind that I try to keep in mind when the project looks so daunting and scary and big and unaccomplishable. uh, What's the first step? Like what's the first bite, you know? And so I think that helps me too. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And so it sounds, you know, you made the you you sought the, out that feeling. You got that feeling. Yes. Um, and have been off to the races. And you mentioned the podcast mm-hmm. and and comedy is another yes. piece. Um, yes. What what is it like to be on stage like that? And you know what what do you what kind of are you looking for a feeling there or are you looking for like what what drives you with that? Well, I grew up acting. That was a big passion of mine growing up. And so being on stage feels very familiar to me. And in some ways I feel my most myself on stage, Mm. which is kind of interesting because typically you are performing or playing a character, but there is something about being on stage that feels very grounded to me. And perhaps it is because I've been doing it since I was very young. I don't, I don't know what that is, but comedy specifically stand-up comedy. One of the things that drives me there is 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 what laughter means because when you're on stage and you tell a joke i tell a joke it's from my own perspective it's about me or it's about something i feel or something i experience and i elicit a laugh from the audience in my mind that means for a moment for whatever reason they recognized the experience or perspective i had from their own life Whether that was them thinking, oh my God, that's just like my roommate, or that is so me, or, oh, that happened to someone I know. There's some recognition there. And that moment of recognition to me is like pure connection because nobody laughs. Nobody decides to laugh, right? It just happens. And Mm -hmm. so I find it so fulfilling, so enriching, so exciting to think that there's a thing that I experienced in my one little life that all the people in the audience, or at least all the people laughing in this scenario, the whole audience is laughing (laughs) that they've also experienced or recognized too. And I just find it so comforting because it means that we're all experiencing some of the same things. So it makes me feel less alone in these experiences. And so that's a huge part of what drives me to do stand up. Um, That's the headier, more philosophical reason. Uh, And then the simpler version of that is just that I love making people laugh more than anything in the world. I love the feeling of making people laugh, of bringing joy, um, of bringing joy to people. And it's just as meaningful to me as it is, uh, as it is to them. So I'm not trying to be like, ah, you know, I'm so selfless. I just love making people laugh, you know? No, it's also really fun for me too, of course. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it goes, it's, it's amazing to hear that, like the thing that you love doing um, and what you like causing for other people is what you get to do, you know, full time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. I feel very, very, very lucky for that. Is there anything else you'd want to say to someone that is interested in kind of going full time as a content creator? Mm. Um, it's kind of a different thing going full time into content creation. I, the way that I describe my job is that I'm a comedian and I have a podcast. And I think content creation is uh, a component of that. Certainly it's like a vehicle or a tool. I think going full-time into a field where you're earning money from your creative work is probably applies to a lot of, a lot of fields earning money from your creative work. Um, I think you have to be really honest about your own goals, where they're coming from and what your circumstances are. 
what are your advantages? And then what are the things you're going to have to fight for? So I mentioned earlier, one of my advantages was that it was in the middle of the pandemic when I left to go do comedy, which on its face sounds like an insane decision, which is certainly what my mom thought when I said, I'm going to leave my tech job to become a comedian. And she said, I don't understand what you mean by that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was January 2021. We were not leaving the house yet, really. But the advantage to me doing it at that time was, like I said, I was living at my mom's house. I wasn't paying rent. Probably the only time as an adult I will ever live in that house and not be paying rent. And so what could have been seen as like a true disadvantage to go try to do a performing career in the middle of a pandemic, well, I also saw opportunity, which is, yeah, but I live here right now and pay zero dollars. And so I that's not going to be everybody's circumstance, but I do think that everybody has some things that are advantages and wins for them, and then some things that they're going to have to work against. Um, and so I think that being really honest with yourself about what those are can be very helpful. And then figuring out what you, how to lean into some, and then how you're going to have to work against others. And then being very honest too, I think about your goals is really important because I, my goal with that experiment with this experiment that I've been doing it full-time for two years, we can still call it an experiment <laughs> an adventure, whatever it is. My goal was truly to see what it feels like. Like my goal was not, I'm going to go be a big star. People would ask me that too. You know, they'd be like, oh, you're going to make it. You're going to go try to make it. And I'd be like, uh, no, no, I just want to know what it feels like. There's a lot of ways to define success, but for me, success was doing it. I think that mindset shift can apply to a lot of things that people want to try instead of success being be really good at the thing. I like to think of success as like doing it, <laughs> you know, like doing yeah. it for the first time. And then success is going to be doing it for the second time and then over and over and over again. And then eventually you get good at it. Yeah. More about like kind of the things that you can control versus things you can't control kind of thing. At perfectly said. Absolutely. Like you and I were talking about consistency of producing every week, your show, you know, my comedy, whatever it is, showing up and doing it. I think ultimately, I know ultimately will yield better results than just focusing on, oh, that joke wasn't as good as the last one. It's like, all right, well then write another one. Yeah. All right. Well, um, for upcoming shows and for people to to stay in touch, and if there's anything else you want to mention, um, they think that uh, we missed it all, Alexis. I'd love to hear it. But um, yeah, tell us uh, where people can learn more. And um, absolutely, yeah. you can find me on the good old internet, the World Wide Web, uh, as we call it, <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Yay Alexis Gay. I also have a podcast called Non-Technical, where I interview influential people from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. You can find that at Non-Technical Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see me perform, it is possible. I do do it. You can join my email list. It, uh, you can find it at bit.ly uh, slash hi from Alexis. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm not great at the email list yet, but I someday... Someday it will be great. You could be there from the beginning. You could say, I knew her when her email list was so bad. That could be you. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Alexis. Really appreciate it. This is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, David. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, 
LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.